Today we're exploring stories of collateral damage. Real people, real stories from their own front lines. And as such, listener discretion is advised. Our next piece begins in the middle of the American War in Vietnam. When a young soldier spent day after sweltering day in the jungle looking for the North Vietnamese Army, the NVA. Snap Judgment. Basically, what we did was we moved up and down the trails and we were, we were looking for what we call meeting engagements, the NVA and, and I and my platoon or my company. The thing about it is you would go sometimes two, maybe sometimes three weeks in a row without seeing anybody. In fact, after about a week or a week and a half, you started to get nervous because you knew you were overdue, you know? And, and then all of a sudden, the world would explode. Things are calm, peaceful, and all of a sudden, people are dying left and right. You don't think you're going to be alive two seconds from now. And then, all of a sudden, it's quiet. It's over with. You uh, pull back to a position you can defend, organize, get your you know, medevac you wounded out, and then you usually spend that night in that location, and then the next day you get up and you just start it all over again. Homer had been marching up and down the Vietnamese hills for seven months. One night, after a particularly gruesome engagement, he was feeling strung out and on edge, so he drank pretty much a whole bottle of Chivas Regal. And he passed out a few hours before the sun came up. And then it was time to get up because the choppers were leaving at 8 o'clock. I had too bad of a hangover to remember much of that morning. <laughs> but anyway, we got on the choppers and we flew up to the valley. And it's about 105 degrees, so it's really hot. During the rainy season, it's, it's really slippery. I mean, slippery to the point where you have to literally climb from root to tree trunk to root to tree trunk. It's like grease. You just go, wow, wide open, you know. Uh, it's so dark on those ridgelines, on top of those ridgelines, that in the middle of the day, you have to use your flashlight to read a map. That's how dark it is. Walk a little ways, walk a little ways, have to stop and take a break because we're about to pass out from the heat. I noticed on the side of the road there, there was this concrete. They kind of scabbed it with concrete to keep landslides from coming down because apparently it was a landslide prone area. And as I'm looking, I notice at the top of the ridge line, there's this huge tree. I mean, it's triple canopy jungle, and this tree is like maybe 30, 40 feet above all the other trees in the jungle. It's the most, it's an amazing tree. We had just stopped for a, for a water break, and around the tra- bend in the trail comes this guy out of Soldier of Fortune magazine. Brand new clean pith helmet, brand new sparkling clean weapon, clean fatigues. I mean, he is spotless. He looked like he was in a photo shoot or something. So I figure at first that I'm hallucinating. I mean, I, I, that's what I really thought. I thought I was hallucinating. I thought the heat had finally gotten to him. I'd overdone it. And I realized, oh my God, it's, it's CNVA. He's going to shoot me. He had on this, this regular North Vietnamese Army um, fiber helmet. So he was obviously Vietnamese. He had his rifle slung over his shoulder. 
he was just diddy bopping. When he first came around the corner, his head was down. He was looking down. He wasn't even looking up, you know. He didn't think there was anybody in the world out there. I yelled at him, Chew Hoy, because that's what I'd seen on all the, the surrender pamphlets the, the, the we, our PSYOPs people put out. So I don't know whether that confused him or not. But the point is, he was still trying to get his weapon down and shoot me. Um, so I waited and I waited. And then at the last second, just before he had leveled down it to where it was pointed directly at me, I did the, the typical uh, infantry thing, a three-round burst. Stitched him um, one through the abdomen, once through the, once literally right through the heart. And I go up, and he's, when I get there, he, like I say, he's, his hair is perfectly groomed. He's, he's clean. He's, he's out of place. And when I get there, he's still alive enough that he's, he's got life in his eyes. And I got to actually see the, if you've ever seen someone die, there's a moment where there's no life there anymore. It kind of gl- the, the glossiness disappears and the tension disappears, and, and you know they're gone. And, and I saw that. That gets you. I mean, whether it's the bad guy or the good guy, it gets you. I've seen that. I told the squad leader to, you know, check for documents. When we went through his, um, his, his uniform and all, he had um, some letters home. There was some, uh, a mathematics notebook and, and a medical notebook. And we decided that we couldn't take the body because the heat, when the heat, we just couldn't haul that much load. Um, so what we did is we took the documents and the weapon and we beat feet. We moved on out. The next day, when they were waiting for the helicopter that would take them back to base camp, Homer's squad leader handed him the notebook that they had taken off the dead man's body. And when we got down to the valley the next day, waiting for the helicopters to come in, that's when I got the documents from the squad leader. I was just blown away. He had taken a, a small notebook, maybe maybe five inches wide, six inches long, and he had wrapped it with tape so that it would hold together in the, in the jungle. And he had taken two or three different color pens and markers, and he had drawn anatomical drawings, medical drawings, of nerve and blood vessels and muscle structures and all that kind of stuff that he had copied out of textbooks while he was going undergoing training um, to show to other medics in the field when he was trying to explain things. And I mean, these, these drawings were so beautiful, they're works of art, I mean, literally. Um, wow. And then the realization then came to me that he was a medic. And of course, everybody loves, respects, and takes care of the medics um, on either side. Um, They're the good people (laughs) in a a horrible situation. Homer took the notebooks. He carefully wrapped them in brown paper, and he mailed them home to his mother. Other guys sent weapons home as souvenirs. Um, I just thought that would be a good souvenir of my time in in combat. Um, I didn't know the significance of it at all. It It just looked really cool. Well, by the time I got back at the end, a year later, at the end of my second tour, and I had completely forgotten about the incident altogether. It, it was probably 25 years, quarter of a century. After I retired, then I um, 
decided to put up a website about some of my Vietnam experiences and contact my friends. So I asked mom if she could find the, the audio tapes, the little cassette tapes that I'd sent back from Vietnam. And she said, there's a package here in brown paper that you asked me to save but not to open. And instantly I remembered what it was. I mean, it's like I couldn't think, I couldn't move. I do remember I was, see, I'm trembling right now. I'm trembling. The moment she said the brown paper, I, it all came back. And, I, and it, all of it came back. I can remember the look in his eye. I can remember the look in his eye when, when, he, when he wasn't alive anymore. The sun was coming in the window. Um, it was late afternoon. And, and it was wintertime, so it was warm. The first book I opened was the one with the medical drawings in it. It was incredibly beautiful. And they were still just as vibrant and rich color as they had been the day I first saw them. And uh, I thought, you know, I don't know the family or anything about them, but I'm quite certain they would love to get their hands on this. So Homer decided to try to return the notebook to the family of the man he'd killed. He scanned some pages into his website, and eventually a Vietnamese journalist took the images and printed them in a Vietnamese newspaper. Almost immediately, the family of the fallen soldier came forward to claim the notebook. My wife and I first knew about his notebook from a newspaper named Education Times that a cousin brought to us in which uh, they on on which they printed um, several notebooks uh, and we saw the name there Hoàng Ngọc Đảm uh, my brother's name there we we knew from for sure that it's him the medic's name was Wang Ngoc Dam or Dam for short and all his family knew was that he'd never come home from battle this is Dam's brother-in-law Wang Minh Dieu he's talking to us through a translator uh, when we uh, when we knew that it was him, we had a very uh, mixed feeling, both uh, sad sadness as, and also um, some anxiety, but, but also uh, so glad that we finally uh, found uh, found him, and um, we all we hope that Homer could uh, himself bring the, the notebook to us. He was a very good brother, and um, after the war, I have also tried several uh, occasions to find the remains of my brother-in-law, Getting back Dom's notebook was getting back a small piece of Dom, which was wonderful. But his family also felt like they were one step closer to finding Dom's lost remains. Because in the in the Buddhist tradition, they need to get some part of, of the body back to the to the family burial ground. Uh, for us Vietnamese, uh, generally, it's very important to find the remains of the deceased, and it's even more important to find the remains of the soldiers who have fallen in the wars. Um, they they the term wandering souls refers to the fact that if they don't get anything back to bury in the burial plot, then they think the, the soul wanders aimlessly um, for eternity. 
Because there are so many people still missing in Vietnam from the war, a sort of cottage industry has popped up to help connect families with their lost relatives. There are private investigators, a government agency, recovery companies. There are also lots of sort of spiritual guides who offer their services to help families find the missing remains of their loved ones. The family had, had contacted, um, after the war, had contacted a psychic. Uh, fortune tellers, what they call them over there. We've got our psychic mediums here in the States also. This lady has apparently some incredible reputation for being dead on with her predictions. And they contacted her and asked her about Tom. The medium said she gleaned a lot of information from the notebooks, spiritual information that could help lead to Dom's remains. And she thought Homer's presence could help them guide the search. So the family asked Homer if he would come back to Vietnam. When Snap Judgment returns, Homer's surprising decision that changes everything. When the Snap Judgment Shrapnel episode continues, Stay tuned. From WNYC Studios, welcome back to Snap Judgment, the shrapnel episode. My name is Lynn Washington, and when last we left, Homer Steedley was contemplating his return to Vietnam at the request of the family of the man that he had slain and war. Snap judgment. I thought it very important that they have some closure. Um, I kind of said yes before I thought it through. <laughs> and, uh, and as it got closer and closer time to go over, of course, my, my anxiety level went up. I mean, think about it. I'm going back to a foreign country on the other side of the planet, going into the home of a family whose son I had killed. Um, and yeah, I was, I didn't know what to expect. I mean, for all I knew, one of the, the veterans in the community would shoot me. We got in around midnight and I got off the plane and I had forgotten how hot it is. The sensations were just like, whoa, okay, <laughs> I remember this. <laughs> After a drive out of the city and through the countryside, Homer walked into Dom's family's home. Well, when we got there, I, I initially had a bowl of fruit, which I brought into the family home and, and placed on the altar. They have an altar in the family home to Dom. And, and his other brother that died in the war also. And they worship their, their ancestors, their elders, and so they keep a, a shrine there. And I placed the fruit there. And of course, um, the younger sisters over there, uh, real scary, right? Howling and, and grimacing and, and speaking in tongues, as we would call it. This is tape that was recorded by an American radio reporter that was with Homer. It was about 10 years ago, and for some reason, this is some of the only tape that still exists from this trip. Another one of Dom's brothers, who goes by Cot, says the woman speaking in tongues was their sister-in-law. He says they think she was channeling another brother who also died in the war, Wang Dam Chi. 
Đấy là linh hồn hôn lấy. I believe uh, that um, her, her body might uh, has been was taken by our second brother Hoàng Đăng Chi then. And he's and I and all this time I could hear this wailing and this someone saying strange things that even to me didn't sound like Vietnamese and um, a lot of really loud wailing like someone was really upset and I go in and boy I at, th at that point when I first saw her I was <laughs> I almost turned around and left I mean she was completely out of it they said she was getting messages from Dom about what was going to happen and what needed to take place and and so forth and so on. And, uh, but she was gesturing and she was arching and her, her throat was bulging and she was gnashing her teeth and wailing really loud and struggling. And I'm like two feet away from her as I walk past to go to the, to the altar, you know. So, whew, boy, that was pretty emotional. And then I get up to the altar and I set the fruit down. And just as I set the fruit down, I see Dom's picture over there. And he's staring at me. I mean... And then I go to the other side of the room and sit down after I've um, said my little prayers and, and Roth is sticking on. I go sit down and I sit on the opposite side of the table facing the altar. And again, I look up and he is staring directly at me still. And for the next hour and a half, every time I get distracted a little bit and I relax, I find myself looking over there and there he is again. It's like he was, I'm here, I'm glad you made it, <laughs> you know. The sister-in-law settled down, and she and the rest of the family and Homer all sat down to put together the clues they had that might help them find Dom's bones. They took the information the medium told them when she first saw the notebook, and then they added information they'd gotten from the military about remains buried in the region where Homer shot Dom. And, and the goal was to find his remains and, and get them back to the village cemetery. We, uh, um, yes, we had a lot of hope that we would find his remains. Early on, um, in the few minutes after the, the meeting where we planned where we were going to go and what we are going to do, um, they said that they thought that Dom and my spirit were linked. And, that, and that's why they thought Dom would be helping us on our search. Dom's sisters and brothers and Homer, two American reporters, someone from the American embassy and a Vietnamese TV crew, all set out on a two-day journey. Um, it was quite an entourage. Um, so our goal was to go to the, the military cemetery and look for Dom's remains. On the second day, when they were caravanning by van, the family got a call on one of their mobile phones. The Vietnamese authorities had a problem with Homer going to the cemetery. They're very protective of their, of their war dead, and because I was an American, they didn't know what my motives were. So, because I was there, instead of being helpful, it turned out I was a hindrance to their, to their efforts. So, Homer waited in a minivan outside the cemetery, in the thick, wet heat, while the family snuck inside. Several hours later, Dom's family reappeared, covered in dirt. When they got out, they were just bubbling with um, enthusiasm, and, 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 they, and they came up to me, and they had this, this cardboard box that that you get shower heads out in from the from the Walmart or someplace like that. And then one of them, uh, I think the older brother, took and wrapped a Vietnamese flag, um, North Vietnamese flag around it. And then I realized what it was. And 
One of his sisters held up her hands, covered in red mud. And she said, I, I dug him up with my bare hands. I, I'm, I, these hands are bringing my brother home. And, and she was, um, she, it was funny, she was, she was crying and yet she was also um, grinning from ear to ear at the same time. When, when we uh, came to the cemetery, so we, we all believed that it, it must be our, uh, our brother. Now, whether that was actually Dom or, or one of the other unknowns, we'll never know. But at least it gives the family closure to bring something back to the village. Um, it makes them feel good. But with so many things happening on that trip the way they did, um, I have to believe it really was Tom's remains. I mean, I really do. After we'd found the remains, we had to drive back to a place where we could get on a railroad car to, to go back to Hanoi. And the family would like said they would like to stop somewhere along the pass and have a little ceremony and consecrate the remains. They asked me if I knew where, where the spot was, and I told them, well, I didn't think I could remember that detail, you know. So I said, just pull over whenever you feel the urge, you know. Well, we drive and we drive and we drive and we drive, and they suddenly decide to pull over. There's just enough room for us to pull off the road. We walk around and look around, and it looks like a good spot. So they're setting up a little altar. They're putting um, joysticks in the ground, had pictures of Dom and his brother, and remains with a Vietnamese flag, North Vietnamese flag over it. The TV crew was with us, and they'd set up this big, heavy tripod. Must have weighed 40 pounds. Well, it, it's a clear day. About that time, a gust of wind came out of nowhere. I mean, a powerful gust of wind. Blew the, that heavy tripod over and broke the TV camera. Thật ra đây là một cái kỷ niệm nó đặc biệt đến giờ. Um, this is a, a memory that until, even until now I, I still I still feel shaken to to think of that. Uh, there was then a very strong wind and the camera of the TV station got uh, crashed down and it broke. So we couldn't do anything with that. The translator of, of, uh, of the group said that he has a personal camera, so he took it out and we planned to use it, but it broke down too. Four cameras, on, we couldn't use any of them. And meanwhile, while all that's going on, um, everybody just left me alone and I walked off by myself a little bit and I'm standing there looking across the valley, remembering it. And uh, I turn and I look up at the ridge line. There was this concrete uh, facing on the opposite bank to keep landslides from occurring right at the beginning there. I'm a little bit disconcerted. I'm a little bit emotionally overwhelmed. And then I walked a little bit further and I got a clear sight for the first time at the top of the ridge line. And there was the tree I had used as a marker when we went up the ridge line. It's triple canopy jungle, and this tree was another 30 or 40 feet higher than the tallest tree in the triple canopy jungle. It was still like an amazing tree. And what had happened is we had walked up there. Well, that's when we bumped into Dom, and that's where I killed him at the base of that tree. And and I'm standing there, and I'm, I'm at that point, I'm about to lose it because it all hits me. Oh, my God, this, this is just, I can't believe they stopped at this point. You know, they had no clue, and they stopped at this point. To be honest with you, I thought I was wrong. I mean, I thought it couldn't possibly be. There was a couple of moments when I was like, 
literally trembling. And, and, and then I just broke out of it and put it in the back of my mind. Tried to not think about it. He was too scared to tell anyone what he'd realized. The entire entourage began the long trip back to Dom's home village. First in the convoy of minivans, and then they boarded an overnight train. And the whole time, Homer was silently fascinated and disturbed by what he knew about the place they had randomly stopped on the roadside. So later that night, in, uh, when we got back to the train, um, Homer got very shaken, shaken, and he, he said, I can't believe it. And um, he said that the place, the very place that we stopped uh, in the afternoon was the was a location that um, uh, Homer met uh, Dan. The group got quiet. They rested the showerhead box with Dom's remains on the windowsill. Everyone said that they were both at peace and a little uncomfortable, nervous. We we were shaken. We were uh, staggered too by after we, we knew that they kept calling uh, my my wife at home on phone and telling her to uh, to delight the, the incense on on my brother's um, altar. So say they could help us. Uh, he he would help us to go home safely. Yeah, we, we took the long train route. Um, you got to see the seaside on one side and, and, and the flat uh, rice paddy lands on the other and the mountains and the jungles. So you got to see basically the entire um, landscape of Vietnam. And, and I mean, I just sat there and just absolutely spellbound. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, wow, what an incredible family. I mean, think about it. They opened their hearts their arms to me in spite of the fact that I killed the youngest son. Think on my deathbed when it finally comes, um, if I have a slow death, which I hope I don't. I hope I get run over on my motorcycle when I'm looking the other way. But if I do have a slow death, I'm sure that as I'm dying, and I know I'm dying, I will be thinking of my family and friends. But I think in the moment that I die, in that split second before I leave, my last thought will be about Dom, because I'll be looking forward to meeting him. Oh, oh God. I'll be looking forward to meeting him, and I think we'll meet as equals. There are many, many people to thank for their help in this story. Of course, Homer Steedley. You can find a link to his website at snapjudgment.org. And a big shout out to the Hong family and our translator in Vietnam, Chow Ngo. I want to thank the folks at the Center for Emerging Media and Jessica Phillips for providing some of the tape from Homer's original visit to Vietnam. And lastly, enormous thanks to Wayne Carlin, who wrote a book on Homer and Dom and who helped us out with the research for this story. Find a link to the book, Wandering Souls, 
on our website, snapjudgment.org. The original sound design for this piece was by Renzo Gorio, and it was produced by Anna Sussman and Eliza Smith. Now, please note, if you missed even a moment of that story, we've got the whole thing available for you right now. Just get the podcast, snapjudgment.org.